Good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us this morning here at Oak Crest. It's a blessing to see so many of us worshiping here in person in this building. And even more of a blessing to know that we are joined by who knows how many people in how many places uh, live streaming. We pray that your time with us this morning is a blessing to you and that we've glorified God in what we've done in this worship service. In case you've not met me, the name tag still says that I'm Brian Simmons, and I am still blessed to be the preaching minister here at Oak Crest. But you might remember that I have a day job uh, teaching at Oklahoma Christian University up the road. Oh, my students. Uh, My students. Not long ago, uh, one of my students, she was sitting in our cafeteria minding her own business. And this guy, another one of the students, comes up to her, and she had seen him around campus, in chapel or on the sidewalk or whatnot, and he comes and he sits across from her at the table, and he looks her in the eye and he says, you know, the Spirit of the Lord has told me that we're we're going to date each other. So would you like to go to a movie with me Friday night? And my students are pretty sharp. And so without missing a beat, she looks him in the eye and she says, that's funny because the Spirit of the Lord told me that I was supposed to say no to you. That's pretty cool. And you know, I thought about that when I was reading not long ago uh, a passage in Acts chapter 8. And it's a passage we all know. It's pretty familiar, honestly. I don't know that we need to read every word of it. It's on the slide behind me. The, The long and short of it is that there's this Ethiopian gentleman who's out traveling, and he's in this chariot. And um, he happens to be reading from God's word. And Philip, who was one of the disciples of Jesus Christ, is told in verse 29 of Acts chapter 8, go to that chariot and stay near it. Now, we don't need to read the rest of the chapter. It's probably familiar to you, but the rest of the story unfolds. Philip goes to the chariot, has a conversation with this Ethiopian gentleman. The gentleman's baptized, happy ending all the way around. And, you know, I wish it was that easy. I wish the Spirit of the Lord would have said to me when I was in college, hey, you should go ask that girl out. (laughs) The funny thing is, that never happened to me. I asked hundreds of women out when I was in college. Don't get me wrong. Okay, four. But (laughs) never was it as clear-cut as the Spirit of the Lord whispering in my ear, hey, go and ask this person out. And perhaps because I teach at a Christian university, or just because I know many sincere Christians who want to be led by the Spirit, the question of how do I know when I'm led by the Spirit is a really important question. My students ask this all the time. I feel, Brian, like I'm being led to go on a mission trip this summer, but I'm not sure. You know, Brian, I feel like I'm being led to maybe take a job in this particular city as opposed to that particular city, but boy, I don't know. I've known Christians that genuinely are asking the Spirit to lead them to know when is the best time to say something to the person they work with about coming to church here at Oak Crest. And many, many, many people want the Spirit to lead them into all kinds of things. And I think this question behind me on the slide How can you know when you are genuinely being led by the Spirit is one that, if we're honest with each other, it's a question many of us have asked in the past, and maybe some of us are asking this morning on a crisp September morning. And 
frankly, because someone said to me about three months ago when I first began preaching here, hey, Brian, can you preach about being led by the Spirit? I feel a bit of an obligation to speak to this. Because in my experience, this is one of those questions we don't talk about a lot, but people really want answers to. And so before I plunge into that, I just want to offer a few caveats. You have to recognize at the very beginning that what we are talking about is spiritual. And you have to leave room, maybe a lot of room, for mystery. Because someone like me, who's a mere human, though I've read the scripture and thought about it and done a lot of studying about it, I'm still standing here trying to explain to you the spiritual, and you have to allow for some mystery there. You have to allow for a big sense of space where you say, well, I'm not quite sure how it works. It might work like this, kind of work like that, but I'm not quite sure entirely how it works. After all, as we're told in 2 Corinthians 5, we live by faith and not by sight. Second observation is quite simply that I don't think there's a single way the Spirit works. I think that's asking too much of the Spirit, and frankly, I think it's limiting the Spirit. If you think that all the Spirit does is speak to you, for example, through Scripture, or if all the Spirit does is speak to you through prayer, I think you're putting the Spirit in a box. And I confess, I'm not sure entirely how it works, but I do know that it's unfair of me to say that the only way the Spirit works is if it looks like this, and it can't look like that. Well, there are some boundaries on it, perhaps, but I think trying to nail it down with precision is a really, really difficult thing to do. And finally, what I want to share with you this morning is both from my experiences and from what I see in Scripture and from what I see as I read through God's Word when there are glimpses and in some cases statements about how we can know when we are genuinely being led by the Spirit. And so what I hope to do is offer you nine principles. That's right, I've got my teacher's hat on now, okay? Nine principles that I think can help us answer this question. So let me start with the very first principle, and it goes like this. The Spirit isn't likely to lead you in every small thing in your life. You know, because this whole being led by the Spirit thing is a bit of a mystery, sometimes my students will joke about it. You know, I remember a while back, a couple of my students had walked into the cafeteria and looked at the offerings that day, and they weren't necessarily pleased with what the cafeteria was serving. And so one student looked at the other one and said, I think the Spirit is leading me to go to Chick-fil-A today. Another student said, no, I think the Spirit is leading us to go to Cane's today. <laughs> now, in my humble opinion, the Spirit would have led them to Taco Bell if it really was the Spirit, but that's just me. But the fact of the matter is, those students, though they were joking, they reflected this belief that the Holy Spirit will have something to say, will have an opinion, will have some leading of us on every little thing in our life. And I think the sentiment behind that is noble, and it must be recognized as good. I mean, after all, Jesus himself tells us in Matthew chapter 10 that even the very hairs on our head are numbered. Oh, God is interested in your life. Make no mistake about it. In fact, if Jesus is Lord of your life, he's Lord of all the decisions you make, large and small, where you will go for lunch after services today, whether you will keep your current job or seek a new one, or like my students, whether you'll go out with that person or this person. But I think it's a bit of a mistake to think that every little decision that you face every single day is a decision on which God has an opinion. I'm not sure that God has an opinion, believe it or not, whether you go to Chick-fil-A or Cane's or Taco Bell for lunch today. 
I'm not sure that God has an opinion about some of the small things where sometimes my students feel as if God is leading them to do. And so at the end of the day, I think you have to recognize that it's possible, because there is a bit of mystery involved in the Spirit. It's possible that I'm wrong, and that God has a vested interest in whether you go to Chick-fil-A or Cain's. But I think it's more likely that God is interested in the larger, more important, the weightier, the more significant matters of your life. You see, as I read through Scripture, I see God trusting people to make decisions, both large and small. I see God trusting Paul to know where to go on his missionary journeys. I see Jesus trusting 72 disciples, and he just sends them out and says, preach the gospel and do some good in the world. He doesn't give them a map. He doesn't tell them which specific house to go to. And I believe that God trusts you to make a lot of decisions that sometimes I fear we think the Spirit is supposed to lead us into. It's like I tell my students, look, when you write a paper for me, I don't care whether you have a title page or not. I'm not concerned about indentations from the end of the page or not. I'm not concerned necessarily about every little formatting thing. Write me a good paper. I mean, don't make it filled with writing errors and all that, but I don't take out a ruler and start measuring the margins like some of my colleagues do. I'm more interested in what my students write the content. So the first principle I think you have to wrap your mind around is this idea that the Spirit, I don't think, is going to lead you into every little small decision you have to make in your life. Principle number two. If the Spirit's going to lead you, you will be led into something consistent with Scripture, never anything contrary to Scripture. I mean, when you think about it, it doesn't make any sense for the Spirit to lead you into something that God clearly says elsewhere is something that is not to be done. There's an interesting section in Mark's Gospel in chapter 3. Jesus is talking to people about their religious faith. And he says, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom can't stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And so it seems to me that God, through his spirit, is not going to lead you into something that is contrary to scriptures. Back in Oregon years ago, I knew a family whose daughter was uh, dating this guy, and he wasn't a Christian, and he didn't treat her real well. In fact, it was one of those really dysfunctional relationships. And quite frankly, he really, really, really messed up this young lady. And the young lady's parents were just angry, and they were frustrated, and they wanted revenge. And I remember one time talking with the father, because this really tore his family apart. And at one point, he said something along the lines of, I really wish the Lord would let me take revenge. I think in that moment of time, he wished the Spirit would lead him into taking revenge. Along the same lines, I knew another friend of mine back in Portland who, when his daughter started dating, he would oftentimes meet the guy at the door when he came to pick up his daughter, and he had a standard line. He would invite the gentleman in, and he'd say, have a seat, son, have a seat. And they'd chit-chat for a little bit, and then he'd look the kid in the eye, and he'd say, you know, I'm not afraid to go to jail for my daughter. (laughs) I don't think the Spirit's going to lead him into doing something contrary to Scripture. Scripture says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. The Holy Spirit's not going to lead you to take vengeance on someone. The Holy Spirit is not going to lead you to mistreat and be unkind and to be mean to someone. The Spirit is not going to lead you to not forgive someone. Those are all contrary 
to clear scriptures. And so if you get this inkling that maybe the Spirit is leading you somewhere, that someplace is not going to be a place that is contrary to Scripture. And so if you are, as Dwight said, abiding in God's Word, if you know the Scriptures, then that becomes the guardrails that keeps you from concluding that you're being led somewhere that you're not being led. Principle number three. I call it the convergence of conversations. And what I mean by that is quite simply this. Oftentimes in Scripture, the Bible talks about seeking wise counsel. For example, there are two passages in Proverbs that you'll see on the slide behind me. Both of those passages talk about talking with other people to gain wisdom. In Proverbs chapter 12, it says, The way of the fool seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Or elsewhere, in Proverbs chapter uh, 19 and verse 20, Listen to advice and accept discipline. And at the end, you will be counted among the wise. You see, in my life, one of the things I've realized is that oftentimes I can sense the Spirit leading me when I have conversations with different people, and they all tend to converge with the same kind of advice. So quite frankly, before my wife and I agreed to take on the role of preaching here at Oak Crest, I talked to a lot of people. And I said, is this, do you think, a good idea? Is this a bad idea? What do you think about this opportunity in my life and in the life of the Oak Crest Church family? And over and over again, as I talked to people about that, the convergence of advice was the same. You know, Brian, I think this is of God. I think this is something you and Sharon really ought to pursue. And so for me, that was wise counsel. But at other points in my life, I've run ideas by people, and they've said, ah, you know, Brian, I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think that's for you, or I don't think this is the right time. And so when you talk to a number of people, some of whom are older than you, some of whom are younger, some of whom have had different life experiences, in my experience in Christ, the convergence of things oftentimes is a confirmation that I really am being led by the Spirit, and I'm not just freelancing and doing what I want to do. So earlier I mentioned Taco Bell, which happens to be my preferred fast food restaurant. One of my former students, well actually, let's be honest, I saw the kid grow up back in Oregon and then he came here to Oklahoma Christian, took a degree and he's now working as an administrator and a teacher at a school here in Oklahoma City. And he calls me up and he says, hey Brian, can we go to Taco Bell? Now he's not going to Taco Bell with me just to have some good food and you know, to catch up on life. Whenever he or some of my other students say, hey, Brian, we go to Taco Bell, that means they want to ask me something. They want my advice. And so sure enough, he comes to me and he says, hey, you've been important in my life. You've kind of been a mentor to me. I've got this crossroads in my career, and I feel like the Spirit wants me to do this, but I'm not sure. And I'm talking to the influential people in my life. I was honored. And he paid for lunch, which was great. But that's the convergence of conversation. Oh, I suppose because of the mystery of the Spirit, you could go into a dark room and study the Bible on your own and pray and come to the proper conclusion about whether the Spirit is leading you or not. But in my experience, and from the words of wisdom in Proverbs, I just think that conversation, wise counsel, is a way to confirm that you actually are being led by the Spirit. Principle number four, pray for discernment. You know, we don't talk about discernment very much. 
But discernment is a pretty important idea. Discernment is this notion that you can separate this from that, that you can draw a distinction between this choice and that choice. It's knowing, in a sense, which of the paths you should follow. Should I go this way or should I go that way? And the older I get, the more I pray for discernment. Because when I think about this whole led by the spirit business, usually people ask the question, am I being led by the spirit? When they have a decision to make. Should I keep the job or search for a new one? Should I say something to this person or should I not say something for this person? And in my experience, in that moment, that's when you need discernment. Psalm 119 has a lot of verses in it. A lot of verses in it. And in the 125th verse, the psalmist writes this. I'm your servant. Give me discernment that I may understand your statutes. Although narrowly it's talking about understanding God's word and understanding what God wants for us. In the broader picture, that same sense of discernment not only allows you to understand what God wants for you, I believe it also allows you to understand whether you're being led by the Spirit. In fact, I would be so bold as to say that when you pray for discernment, that actually improves and matures your spiritual life. Because then that gives the spirit room to move. It gives the spirit an opportunity to develop in you this skill that you can then transfer to other areas of your life. When you pray for discernment, you can know, okay, this mission trip has this opportunity, but that mission trip has that opportunity. How do I untangle all this? Look, the book of James tells us that God gives us wisdom. And that's not just wisdom in terms of smarts. I think that word wisdom is a catch-all for things like discernment and things like having experiences that you can bring to bear on the decisions you have to make. And so I want to encourage you as you talk to people and see the convergence of conversations to also pray for discernment to take the advice they give you, to take what you see in Scripture, to take what you're sensing from prayer, and to put it into use. Principle number five. I believe that you can know that you're led by the Spirit if there is peace in your heart. You know, a passage we're familiar with is in Philippians chapter 4, where Paul writes to Christians that I think are very much like us. And he says, hey, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God that passes understanding, or as it says here, that transcends all, will guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. I'll tell you what I've found in my life. In my life, when I've been at a crossroads and have to make a decision, I've found that if I pray, if I seek wise counsel, if I've asked for discernment, if I've read through Scripture in ways we'll talk about in a moment, and then I make a decision, if there's peace, I've been led by the Spirit. If there is not peace, I'm not led by the Spirit. So in 2009, the college that I loved, Cascade College, abruptly closed its door because of the Great Recession. In fact, it's funny because when I interviewed for the job at Cascade College 15 years prior to that, I told them in the interview process, if you hire me, the first thing I will do is buy a house, and the second thing I will do is buy a cemetery plot because I want to die here teaching at this college. And then in 2009, the college closed its doors. I had to sell my house. Still got the cemetery plot. And so in 2009, I had a decision to make. Oklahoma Christian University said, hey, Brian, come down and teach for us. 
Well, my oldest son, Luke, was a freshman in high school at that point in time. My daughter, Madison, was still in junior high at that time, and my wife, Sharon, and I had made a pact. We didn't want to move our kids and uproot them. We wanted stability of school, stability of church in their life during their growing up years. And so I felt as if the Spirit was leading me to stay in Portland to continue preaching at the church I was preaching at then, and I'll just find another job somewhere else. And there were a couple of possibilities. And so I ultimately decided to take a job at the University of Portland. Very different place than Cascade College. But after I made that decision, I was at peace. And it turned out okay. Because my kids made it through high school. And then in 2014, Oklahoma Christian said, hey, are you ready to come down here and teach? And I said, yeah, I think I am. But I made that decision, and I feel it was led by the Spirit because there was a sense of peace. And I talked to a lot of people about it. And I prayed for discernment about it. And I realized that's a pretty big decision in my life. And since I was preaching at the church at that time, I think God had a vested interest in putting me in the right place at the right time, just as I believe I'm in the right place at this time, on this stage. And so I just want to make a case that suggests that there can be peace that transcends understanding. And that oftentimes that's a way to know, you know what? I really am being led by the Spirit. Number six. Look, sometimes the Spirit says no. (laughs) Sometimes when you really want to do something, the Spirit says no. Sometimes the Spirit doesn't lead us anywhere. Sometimes the Spirit plants you in the same place and says, don't you dare move. Or sometimes you think you want to go over here and do this because it seems so appealing. And the Spirit says, no, 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 no. You're going to go over there and do that. The Apostle Paul himself, who had written about this peace that transcends understanding thing, oh, he understood this very well. A snippet of his ministry occurs in Acts chapter 16. And in Acts chapter 16, as it says in verse 6, Paul and his companions had traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from proclaiming the word in another province, in Asia. So Paul and his entourage are all set to keep preaching the gospel. They're going to go this way. They've been in Galatia. They've been in Phrygia. They're going to keep on going over here. And they want to go over here to Asia and keep working. And the Spirit says, nope, not the case. Verse 7. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. And I don't know if that's like Gandalf the Great who pounds a, you know, a big old staff and says, you will not pass. I don't know if Paul just in the middle of the night popped his eyes open and thought, I can't go over there. I don't know what it looked like. The Spirit said no. And I think it takes a bit of maturity of faith and a real finely tuned ear to recognize when the Spirit is saying no. You know, my students sometimes talk about doors being closed. And I know it's difficult sometimes to discern when doors are being closed, but that's why there's a convergence of conversation. That's why you pray for discernment, and that's why you look for peace in your heart. And so I just want you to be open to the idea that sometimes it's not as if the Spirit is leading us somewhere as much as it is the Spirit saying, no, not now, maybe not ever, or maybe not you, or maybe not yet. But no. Principle number seven. You know, as I read through Scripture, it occurs to me that if God really wants you to do something, it will become unmistakably clear. 
And by unmistakably, I mean you can't miss it. It is just blatantly obvious. There's no way in the world to miss it. Now, let me go back to that passage in Acts chapter 16 and tell you the rest of the story. So having been kept by the Spirit of Jesus from going where Paul wanted to go, the story continues. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia standing and begging him, Come to Macedonia! Help us! So after Paul saw that vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia. But that is unmistakably clear. In Scripture, if you read carefully, every single time God has a particular path in mind for someone to follow, it is unmistakably clear. Jonah can't miss it. Go to Nineveh. Abraham can't miss it. Get out of here and go there. Moses can't miss it. I want you to go to Egypt and lead my people out of slavery. Gideon can't miss it. I want you to go and lead an army and free my people from oppression. Do you want me to go on? Joseph can't miss it. Your wife is going to give birth. Don't divorce her. Do you want me to go on? Paul is traveling on the road to Damascus. In Acts chapter 9, Jesus appears to him. What are you doing persecuting me? Unmistakable. Now, I understand that sometimes the Spirit's leading might be a little murky, but if you simply stick with what Scripture shows us, if God really wants you to do something, if it's so important and such a big deal, it will be unmistakably clear. I have met people that will say, you know, I'm not sure if it's the right time for me to get baptized. But along the way in my life, I've rarely, if ever, met anyone who said, Jay, I wonder if God wants me to be baptized. It's unmistakably clear. The answer is yes. And so, again, God trusts you to make decisions, which is why on the really important stuff, as you read through Scripture, it's unmistakably clear. God is not as concerned about how Moses gets from the middle of nowhere back to Egypt to free his people. He just wants him to go and do it. And so, therefore, my friends, I think there could be some encouragement taken from the idea that if it really is important, it's going to be unmistakably clear, and you're not likely to miss it. And at that point, if you miss it, like Jonah, it's because you willfully ignored it. And who wants to be like Jonah? Nobody I know. Principle number eight. You know, sometimes looking backwards is helpful. It really is. It occurs to me that the outcomes of when you felt you were led by the Spirit can tell you whether you were genuinely led by the Spirit or not. And so looking backwards, you can learn on all of that for next time. I mean, my experience about whether I should come to Oklahoma Christian and teach in 2009 as opposed to 2014 allowed me, when 2014 rolled around, to say, you know what? I made the decision to stay in Oregon. I felt the peace that passes understanding. Now in 2014, we're making the decision to actually leave Oregon. And there's peace there. Huh. That must mean the Spirit actually is leading me in that direction. So by the way, speaking of terrible ideas... Many years ago, when I was teaching at the University of Portland, one of my students said, I'm so excited, Brian. I'm going to study for an entire semester on a cruise ship. Believe it or not, there's this program called Semester at Sea, where you can take a bunch of college students, put them on a cruise ship, and expect them to learn something for three months. Okay, in the Hall of Fame of Bad Ideas, that's right up there, okay? 
So the student goes off and studies at sea for a semester. And she comes back and I said, hey, how was the semester at sea? And she said, terrible. I hated it. I hated every minute of it. I wanted to bail out of it, but I had sunk so much money into it, no pun intended, that I feel like I couldn't bail out of it. And then I said to her, okay, so you think about what that felt like. And you remember that the next time you have to make a decision. You remember that the next time you've started on some project and want to quit. See, the fact of the matter is, if you do think you're led by the Spirit, it's probably not the first time in your life you think you're led by the Spirit. And so therefore, when you look backwards and think, what did it feel like? What was my life like? What did I sense in terms of peace? What occurred with that convergence of conversation back then and now in this moment? I think you can understand a bit of how it works. One of the most well-known passages that talks about the Spirit and being led by the Spirit is in Galatians in chapter 5. And in talking about the fruit of the Spirit, it's very clear how that works. You see, earlier in this passage in Galatians, it talks about walking by the Spirit in verse 16. But then it plunges into this section about gratifying the flesh. And it says the works of the flesh are obvious. and kind of gives us uh, a list of what that is. And so if you keep going in this passage, you get all the way down to the end in verses 22 and 23. It's well known. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You see fruit by looking backwards. I pulled a nice red pepper off the pepper plant in my garden yesterday. That red pepper, which I will eat later on tonight for dinner when I make nachos, is the product of all that came before it. And so in your life, if you feel led by the Spirit and you feel a sense of patience, you were led by the Spirit. If you feel a sense of joy, you were probably led by the Spirit. If you felt led by the Spirit and there was no joy, chances are pretty good you weren't led by the Spirit. Because the fruit of that Spirit leading you is not what you thought it would be according to Scripture. And so I think sometimes to really understand being led by the Spirit, it takes a little bit of trial and error. It takes a little bit of figuring things out based on your own experiences. And finally, last but not least, principle number nine. Even if you mess it up, it's still okay. I think sometimes we put such pressure on ourselves. I want to be led by the Spirit. I want to get it right. What happens if I'm not led by the... What happens if I miss it? What happens if the Spirit wants me to go over here, but I don't? Alas, and alack, what happens to me? Relax. Relax. Yeah, you can make some boneheaded decisions that may have some consequences. But in my experience, in those moments when you were supposed to be led over here and you go over there, you can mess that up and there'll be consequences. But it's not as if God gives up on you and says, well, didn't pick up on being led by the Spirit. It's not as if lightning comes down from heaven and strikes you. Yeah, you might have to deal with some consequences, but our God's grace and mercy is unending. And so I say that to take a little pressure off of you. Look, most of my students are between the ages of 18 and 24, and many of them genuinely want to get it right, but they put such pressure on themselves. What happens if I'm supposed to go to Honduras on a mission trip but I don't go? Okay, maybe God's disappointed, but he'll give you another opportunity. <laughs> you better go to Kenya next summer, you know what I mean? 
And so I say that because I try and reduce the pressure you put on yourself. After all, Jonah got it wrong the first time, and God gave him another chance. Although others got it right the first time, Paul, Moses, even though some people doubted it initially, Gideon, God gave them other chances. So there it is, nine principles based on Scripture, based on my own experiences, based on my students' experiences, that all speak to being led by the Spirit. I don't know if this is helpful to you at all or not. I don't know who in this room right now is wrestling with being led by the Spirit. But I hope, not just for the person who asked me to speak to this, but for all of you, you find some blessing in this. And at the end of the day, I just hope that we genuinely continue to seek the Spirit, even if it's a bit mysterious, even if it's a bit trial and error. If your heart is in the right place, I think you'll be okay. And you know why that is? It's because the joy of the Lord is a part of our lives. We're about to sing in a moment about the joy of the Lord. And I think it's appropriate for us to sing that song because I want our life being led by the Spirit to be filled with joy because it is a fruit of the Spirit. And I want us to approach the Spirit's leading with joy, not with apprehension, not with uncertainty, not with fear, but with joy, the joy of the Lord. It will be our strength. It can be our guide, and the Spirit can infuse all of that. And so, as I wrap up my nine principles about the Spirit this morning, if we can be a blessing to you, if we can baptize you in the baptistry behind me, we'd love to do that this morning. If you'd like for us to pray about your life, about anything regarding the Spirit or anything else, would you let us do that for you this morning? One of our shepherds will be here in the front. Another will be back in the lobby if that's more comfortable for you. But regardless, let's sing about the joy of the Lord as we all hope to be led by the Spirit. Let's stand together as a church family and sing.